Welcome to another episode of the Religion Prof Podcast. I'm delighted to have as my guest on this episode, Dr. Julie Gittinger, who is a lecturer of religious studies at Georgia College and who works on South Asian religion, but also on religion and science fiction. I'm interested in the former topic as well, but it was by way of the interest in the latter that we connected. And she has a new book out on uh, personhood in science fiction, which of course is one of the fascinating things that sci-fi gives us a particular, uh, particular, particularly good way of getting into and exploring in ways that it seems like only sci-fi can. So Julie, thank you so much for taking time out of a busy day, this uh, busy part of the semester to have this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this. So how does one end up doing science fiction and religion? I know in my own case, I started out in biblical studies. There's a whole story there. People who've listened to this podcast or who know my work know at least something of that story. How did you end up in sci-fi? Uh, well, I'm kind of a nerd, not kind of. I am a big nerd, let's just be honest. Um, and I've always loved science fiction. Uh, although I came to the really nerdy aspect of really getting into the whole genre and culture and D&D and Dragon Con and all, that came very later in life. I'd love to say that I was reading X-Men when I was nine, but I wasn't. I was reading Archie's probably or whatever girls <laughs> read in the 70s, you know. But um, yes, but I, I've always loved um, films and television shows. And I remember watching uh, things like Twilight Zone and very early Star Trek episodes with my dad um, when I was growing up. Um, but as far as getting into actually thinking about it critically and thinking about it for religious studies research, I'd have to say I really probably started thinking about this with Battlestar Galactica mm-hmm. in 2004. Um, and I know you're a big Battlestar Galactica fan too. So, um, you know, the show is just such an amazing vehicle for interrogating a number of profound religious and philosophical questions. And the most central, of course, was the question, what does it mean to be human? And not only with regard to the Cylon race, but also asking that question of the remnants of humanity, who was almost completely wiped out um, by the Cylons in the show, um, and how they move forward. So this idea of what is a person, and what do we call a person, how is humanity defined, was probably the beginning of that thought process. And then more recently, of course, we have Westworld, which continues this conversation more with regard to artificial intelligence and how we cross that threshold into consciousness. So I feel like those shows really bookend my thinking on this and probably really pulling me into wanting to write about um, write about religion and science fiction professionally. I think um, the first time I actually did a conference paper, you know, kind of came out as I'm doing religion and science fiction uh, in academia was um, uh, very, I don't even think the first season Westworld was even completed yet, but I did an AAR paper on uh, Westworld. So that was the beginning of it. Yeah, and I just want to say, you know, I, I want it to be on the record that, you know, Archie comics are great. So let's get in there. Yes, right? yeah. uh, I know that it's not the one that people, when you think of a comic book nerd, that's that, that doesn't get mentioned as right. the first, uh, you know, top of the list cool. usually. But yeah, um, avid reader of those too, although, uh, yeah, it's interesting how one you know, sometimes finds less time to read certain kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. I I wonder whether you've done what I did, which was basically, you know, take something I love and was interested in anyway and turn it into work. But it also means that I can be doing this thing that I love and it's work and it counts. So 
absolutely. I read so much science fiction last summer. I, on top of watching, I rewatched Alex Rogolevsky. I watched Humans at your recommendation. Thank you for that. Um, I had students recommending stuff to me. I went back and read uh, a lot of classic Isomoff and Heinlein and lots of Philip K. Dick that I had never read before. Um, so, I mean, it was research, quote unquote, yeah. but um, I, of course, I had a, a great time doing it and it was a really fun experience. Yeah. So, do you think uh, you've gained any insight working on this particular topic within science fiction, namely personhood, artificial intelligence, humanoid uh, machines, things like this? Is there any particular reason, do you think, that there seem to be so many shows right at this moment that are exploring this particular thing or have it as a prominent feature within their, their sci-fi franchise? I think because it's so relevant in the conversations that are going on politically right now, um, mm. the question of personhood as to, you know, is a immigrant a person, is a LGBTQ person a person, is, uh, you know, regarding disability, ethnic or racial othering, um, regarding, of course, personhood of a fetus. Um, this is, a, there, there are a lot of different conversations in for, uh, political and kind of cultural areas that are engaging with personhood, maybe not even re realizing they're doing it. Um, so I think this is a really good topic to talk about because we can map it onto other areas that are very relative uh, or, are, you know, relevant right now. Um, but also then we can also speculate a little bit about things that are coming down the pipe, like cloning or if we ever get to a point where we are doing AI, true AI, like uh, uh, artificial consciousness kind of AI, um, or you know, if we ever make first contact, you know, we have to, we'll have to address these questions of personhood. What does it mean to be a person and have those kinds of rights attributed to you? So I think, um, I think there's some sensitivity and awareness to the kind of political climate and how personhood is being talked about in, in regards, particularly I think immigration and prisoners of war and, and the abortion uh, conversation. Um, and I think this is kind of bleeding out into science fiction and popular culture. Yeah, and I, I want to dive into Battlestar Galactica in a second, but I'm, mm -hmm. I was struck by the fact that when you started listing sort of sci-fi influences, you know, a lot of people mentioned Battlestar Galactica, people mentioned Star Trek and Star Wars, and you did mention Star Trek. But the first one you mentioned was Twilight Zone. And I think of the conversations I've had, you may be the first person who mentioned that as first really? on their list. And it really is, you know, it does show sort of everything that's beautiful about sci-fi as it relates to the kinds of things that academics in fields like religion and philosophy are also interested in. Um, it really does, you know, that whole franchise illustrated the power of science fiction to be basically a collection of philosophical thought experiments that help people to think about really deep questions. Absolutely. And I mean, and not like I was a critical thinker when I was 10 years old, but I was sensitive enough to realize there were some pretty serious conversations going on in those shows. Um, so, and some of those shows were, of course, very dark and kind of twisted. I feel like Black Mirror is our modern day version of uh, Twilight Zone. Mm. So very similar sort of aesthetics and, and conversations going on. Yeah, it, it pushes it pushes the limits of, you know, what, what one can uh, show and do on, you know, on, a, on screen, as it were, in a lot of ways that uh, network television in the era of the original Twilight Zone could not. Mm -hmm. But it is still exploring and still getting us to think about things like technology, but also you know, not just 
sciencey type things, which of course people associate with sci-fi, but questions about ourselves, about our morals, about our ethics. Um, yeah, Black Mirror is another one that I love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really does some great things. So I, I remember watching the rebooted Battlestar Galactica, and of course, you, know, you mentioned the 70s, and I was mm -hmm. a fan of the original Battlestar mm -hmm. Galactica. Uh, I've, never, I've never gone out and bought one, but I think if I had to pick one sci-fi uniform to wear, it would probably be the original series Battlestar Galactica, you know, those bomber jackets with the clasps just seem pretty I have cool. the modern version yeah. <laughs> so but yeah i have to invest in more cosplay uh, uh -huh. resources i've got very very inexpensive things that i pull out right. on halloween and for uh, conferences but i remember you know that sort of opening sequence where you know there hasn't been contact between the humans and the cylons for a very long period of time mm -hmm. but there's this place where they they meet and they're supposed to send a representative and then suddenly, you know, breaking with years and years, decades and decades of precedent, a Cylon arrives and asks the person there representing humanity, are you alive? Mm -hmm. And then prove it. And I thought that was just such a great way of starting off a franchise that was going to explore these questions. Because you know, as, you, as you already hinted at and as your book explores, I want to give you a chance to talk about your book so that people don't just listen to the podcast and think, wow, this is really interesting, but go out and read it and buy it, recommend it for the library, things like that. But the question of you know, aliens, of what makes a, a, a biological person, can you prove that another biological entity is a person as opposed to something else that you wouldn't put in that category, is directly related to and intertwined with, and in a lot of ways, at least philosophically inseparable from the question of, can an artificial being be a person? Yeah, I mean, Battlestar Galactica does this so well. And I'm, you know, I have to give a plug for Battlestar Galactica for anyone who's not seen it. Go to Amazon Prime, has it, the whole thing right now. Go watch it. I still argue it's the best thing ever written for television. Um, but I mean, it, it are, not only did it talk about personhood, but also framed it in terms of topics like prisoners of war and rape and things like genocide, yeah. which are several episodes where the, there's an opportunity to completely wipe out the Cylons. And the question is raised, is that ethical? What do we lose as humans, our humanity in doing so, right? Um, kind of general uh, I, questions about terrorism versus revolutionary type, uh, you know, uh, warfare. And so it was just war theology is in there too. So, I mean, these are all tied to personhood and all tied to the relationship between the humans and the Cylons, these kind of uh, these cybernetic beings. And I think, yeah, we will have to ask these questions of how do we determine who is conscious, who is alive, who has a soul, who is a person. Um, and, you know, AI may be one of the, the harder things where we'll have to navigate this, but certainly with uh, ideas like the clones. Um, and, I, and I love the movie The Island, which I talk about in the book mm -hmm. part of it, um, because I think that's a very provocative and, and somewhat realistic sort of uh, idea of what human cloning could possibly offer and the ethical questions around that in the medical field. So. Uh, yeah, I think these are just, I just see these as really relevant and being things that we'll have to potentially address. And I, I think Battlestar Galactica really handled a number of these topics just so well. Yeah, we, I think we need not just, you know, more work in this all across the board, you know, and of anyone who does things on, you know, science fiction, popular culture, comics, uh, there, there at least has been a time in the not too distant past when one had to struggle to make the case that this is 
this is serious work and not just people who want to watch Battlestar Galactica and uh, finding an excuse to do so. There's still some stigma around pop culture and academia. Yeah, but I think there are so many people doing interesting things around science fiction that there, we, we need to find ways of, of, of making connections. As you said, there's, you know, there are people working on things like, you know, uh, ethics of warfare and just war theory mm-hmm. and things like that, who ought to be doing more with sci-fi, but in a, in a context and in some place that also allows somebody who does South Asian religion and sci-fi or does film and religion with a focus on sci-fi or focus on literature. And we're scattered over, you know, not just SBL and AAR, which conveniently lo- um, meet together and so we can do things, mm-hmm. but we're, they're, they're in English and in philosophy and in, you know, so we're, we're scattered in such ways. And there, I really haven't found one venue that gives us a chance to all sort of come together and talk across those those differences of sort of starting places as far as our fields are concerned around the shared interest and exploration of themes in science fiction. Have you? No, not really yet. Um, I mean, it's mostly just networking with people like yeah. you and other colleagues who are interested in this area. I will be going to um, the uh, Pop Culture Association, the PCA conference for the first time this year. I've heard it's quite a big venue for this. Um, I also found out, <laughs> uh, I do go to Dragon Con every year because I'm mm. living close to, enough to Atlanta. I did find out last time that there's actually a conference going on kind of hidden and embedded in Dragon Con. Mm. So you can, of course, go to panels and see David Tennant and the cast of Star Trek and things like that. But you can also go to these fairly academic panels. And I went to several. I went to one on um, one about uh, race and disability in Star Trek and another one on... Um, and I'm forgetting what the other one was, something else with Star Trek, but um, they were very good uh, panels, and they were all PhDs uh, or ABB students, um, and they were very, you know, they were like an AAR panel, and, um, but everyone was in costume, uh, and I found out that that conference is actually does call for papers every year, and that is a conference that just, it is an actual conference, it's just kind of is embedded in there, so I think there's little places for this, these conversations and these networks to happen um, that are becoming more visible. Um, but at this point, you have to kind of seek them out. You have to kind of find your fellow nerds and uh, kind of hook up with them somehow. Yeah, well, I'm going to go and make a point of looking up, finding the, the, con, the, the, the con as in conference embedded in the con as in convention of Dragon Con mm-hmm. and, and spread the word about that. Because, you know, in some cases, there's a need to create a new network or a new conference. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's there and we just need to, you know, sort of actually make make the pilgrimage or whatever the appropriate term is to, uh, to go to that. So let me, let me make sure I uh, move now to talking about your book. So uh, how, did, how did this end up as a book project, I guess, is maybe the, the broad, general, vague question to start with. Well, I, there were just a lot of things I wanted to talk about, and I am, boy, I am so not done with this topic. Mm. There was just so many rabbit holes I went down where I, I was like, I could have done a whole book on personhood and AI. I could have done you know, a whole book on Westworld. Um, I got very interested when I was looking into disability in science fiction that there's very little about disability in science fiction, mm. which is something I'm actually working with right now, and that's a present uh, sort of project, and uh, I'll be presenting uh, at AAR on this topic. But... Um, yeah, I had certain themes I wanted to address. Um, I wanted to talk about kind of what I characterize as inward versus outward personhood. 
I want to start with dehumanization. I want to talk about how the, the alien races are usually used kind of as a quote unquote other in science fiction. You could talk about race or, or ability or other type of categories. Um, free will. Um, there are just a lot of topics I want to talk about. So I just, um, I had in mind that I would do this and I just dove in and, and cranked it out. Um, the hardest part of this book was stopping. Mm. <laughs> uh, I really had a hard time reining myself in and not going wild on tangents. I just try to cover a lot of territory and introduce some kind of show people the, the multiple ways uh, that science fiction allows us to think about these very provocative topics and also um, showcase some uh, good philosophy and um, religion uh, alongside it as well. Yeah, and, and having, having read the book, I mean, it really does do a, a fantastic job of giving people an introduction to you know, what sci-fi has to offer and what a, a critical academic perspective on sci-fi has to offer at that intersection. Uh, what, are some of the, what are some of the things that you discovered, you know, and that as a result of working on this, not just as something that you think about as, as a fan, as you think about as an academic who is also a fan, but as you actually work on writing about these things, inevitably one makes discoveries. Mm -hmm. And of course those discoveries are oftentimes, you know, in most cases are the things that become the the distinctive features of our our books and our articles and things like that and so what were some interesting discoveries that uh, you happened across as a result of working on this book that are reasons that people should should go out and read it themselves i think one of the most challenging things in the book was dealing with the idea of consciousness and how consciousness eventually becomes conflated with some idea of the soul or soul having, if it's not an Abrahamic religion type soul, mm. kind of soul having. Um, and I was surprised at how much, <clears throat> at how many uh, religions and philosophies kind of engage this in interesting ways. Um, I had only been, had a very light familiarity with um, Bridget and Ospensky's work on, um, these are philosophers who talk about that we aren't born with souls, that a soul is something that develops as you kind of progress as a human, and not all people actually even get to that level. And this was something that was very provocative to me, and this maps really well with AI, with the idea that we create something, and perhaps that a soul develops through uh, experience and compassion and learning and having some kind of developing of self-awareness. And I think that's a really provocative uh, uh, philosophical take on soul having that I hadn't uh, been super familiar with before um, before this book, so I, I really kind of dove into that quite a bit. Um, and I, like I said, I think that works really well with you know, especially like something like Westworld, where we have Dolores or several of the hosts, for that matter, who are created with intelligence, but they don't have that self awareness, that free will, that self consciousness. That's something they eventually evolve to, and that's of course mapped into the metaphor of the maze of the show. Um, and I think that this really well with um, Bridget Benespensky's work on this. So that was a kind of whole area that was new to me. And again, then, like I said, also the uh, discussion on disability, which I, I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but as, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but as a professor in the humanities, we're um, very gung-ho about you know, gender and LGBTQ rights and race and so forth. In the classroom, I, I tended to forget about disability. And this book has now changed my pedagogy and my whole kind of outlook um, I really didn't know how to talk about it, so I, I did quite a bit of research on disability studies, and um, there's a wonderful book called Disability in Science Fiction by Katherine Allen, uh, in which she talks particularly about this in regard to science fiction. But, you know, science fiction is, you know, this is a beautiful world where 
we have great technology and we have great medicine and you know we don't have birth defects or disability anymore so it becomes a race they're fixed and that is, in itself is problematic so it's mm. it's a really interesting field to kind of look at and that's again where i'm kind of doing some work now so that was kind of new to me as well yeah science fiction allows one to you know, explore some of those things in such interesting ways you know precisely because you know, we can imagine you know other you know other species on other planets that might have developed whole other senses that we don't have mm -hmm. and if if somebody has you know who on the, our planet is you know confronted with you know impairment of their their vision or their hearing we would say you know we talk about disability and yet we as a species might be disabled compared to other entities that have senses that we don't even you know have on our radar and aren't thinking about because yeah uh, or is that in itself a disability, right? Sometimes when you, you hear, you, you know, you can move things or you hear other, th you know, especially if you hear other people's thoughts, whether that's a, mm -hmm. an ability or a disability or a bit of both. Yeah, science fiction is so good at blurring boundaries mm -hmm. that, uh, and of course, as academics, we, we do need to delineate things in order to study them. But, uh, oh gosh, we need the help to you know, bridge boundaries and you know, cross disciplinary boundaries and fields, but also to recognize when our categories are ones for uh, convenience and not uh, in any sense absolute. Certainly. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think, I think sci-fi does that well. And you mentioned about the, you know, the, the idea of soul is something that could progress. And of course, that's, that's an area that makes artificial, you know, it applies to artificial intelligence as we think about, you know, is this a, a person? Is it conscious? Well, could it be part of the way there, but not all the way there, uh, either in a static sense, that's as far as we've gotten in designing the technology, or it's developing and could achieve something else. And then uh, how does that apply? And you, you mentioned, you know, reproductive rights and some of the debates about, uh, you know, uh, in vitro rights and all those kinds of things mm -hmm. and personhood. And of course, it's, precisely because of the inability to say, okay, well, at this point, you're dealing with a person, and at this point, you're dealing with a proto-person, or, you know, it's, right. when it gets, when it gets blurry like that, people say, well, it's, you know, has a soul from this moment, or we're just going to draw a dividing line here and be dogmatic about it, and it's, a lot of that, I think, is, you know, a, a response to the discomfort that we have with, with blurriness, so I guess, uh, uh, good question to think about in relation to our our academic work is does science fiction help us to address people in relation to that discomfort that people feel when things get difficult in that way that sci-fi relishes exploring mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think you know there's a reason why sci-fi is also called speculative fiction we're speculating about a future that is not here yet and trying to imagine scenarios that we may encounter someday. Um, and I think because there's some distance and there's an element of fantasy and playfulness to it too. So we can say, you know, what if we, you know, meet a alien species who actually has no gender and they they're, uh, they can kind of switch back and forth or something like um, mm -hmm. Octavia Butler's uh, Xenogenesis trilogy, which has the three genders in it, um, kind of middle gender that's important for reproduction. Um, I see Butler, especially, I have to give a shout out you know, to her work because she does a great job of taking really uncomfortable ideas and working through them in her books, um, particularly with regards to how we might be transformed as humans. At what point, you know, 
do we, is it genetic humanity? Is it social or cultural humanity? What happens if we start to have uh, alien DNA infused into our bodies? Um, what happens if we mutate into different forms? Um, and you know, the kind of transgression of the boundaries of the body and the permeability of our bodies, I think, are very provocative sort of ideas that um, are very uncomfortable to think about, but they're very kind of interesting to read about in uh, science fiction. So I think science fiction allows us to speculate about things that are just beyond uh, our realities right now. Uh, and possibly the lessons we draw from that, from that comfortable distance, might allow us to kind of address some of the more you know, on the ground issues of today. So I think it's very useful for that. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so one question I've been wanting to ask and was, was looking for a, a moment, the, the right moment to uh, bring this in is, when somebody starts out in a particular field, as I did with biblical studies, that undoubtedly shapes the way you approach science fiction if, if you, that's something you branch out to a bit later in your career, uh, however early or late it is. And so you started out in the study of uh, South Asian religion, I think in particular, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, and so uh, I, I'm interested to hear what is that, what has that helped you to see, or what what has it been like approaching the study of religion and science fiction, coming through that sort of training and that sort of background? Uh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, so my uh, primary, you know, my formal education is in Hinduism, and it's very specifically modern Hinduism. So. Mm -hmm. My first book was on Hindu nationalism online. So, you know, I'm looking at Hinduism and technology and, and social media and things like that. So I'm already kind of in, interested in technology and modern sort of iterations of South Asian religions. Um, and that crosses paths inevitably with things like, you know, the Buddhist robots that are in the Todaji Temple in Japan and, and um, uh, ideas of cyber deities and cyber puja, which um, we several scholars have written about uh, Hindu worship online through through a computer and things like that. So that's kind of that that was probably the bridge between these two. Uh, I mean, honestly, I've been I've been a, I've loved science fiction for a long time. It did not occur to me. I think I was uh, almost done with my PhD when uh, one of my colleagues uh, in the department presented. I think his dissertation was something with the Bible from Superman. And I was like, hey, wait a second. Are you telling me I couldn't know my dissertation about Star Galactica? Mm. I didn't know I could do pop culture. I didn't know that was actually an academic field. So very late in the game that I realized I can actually marry academia with something I'm extremely passionate and love. Um, so I am keeping an eye on South Asian science fiction. I'm sad to report there is not much out there. Ian McDonald's uh, City of Gods, or River of Gods, I'm sorry, is uh, probably the best known book. Um, Roger Zelazny's uh, Lord of Life is another one. Um, but there's not a lot of Buddhist or Hindu science fiction out there. Um, I have ideas <laughs> for mm. writing my own. I'll have to come at a time when I, I can catch my breath academically. But um, I think there's tons of potential when you start to look at the ideas of karma and reincarnation and multiple deities. I think it's a very rich field. Uh, for science fiction, plus Hinduism, Indic culture in general understands it as itself as being very technologically advanced, even going back to 3000, 4000 BCE in the Harappa Valley. Um, that was a fairly advanced civilization. So they really um, pride themselves on 
uh, mathematics and science and these technological achievements that occurred very early on in the Indian subcontinent. Uh, so I think it's a very rich field for science fiction. It just hasn't happened yet. So I'm keeping an eye out for that. Yeah, well, I, I'll be doing so as well. Of course, sometimes, you know, things exist, but don't get translated or don't get publicized mm -hmm. in the English speaking world. And so right. uh, we'll have to make sure we draw attention to these things uh, if and when we find them in various places. Um, yeah, so you mentioned writing science fiction. Um, and that's, that's certainly something that I've, I've come to only very recently, but it really does give one a a different perspective on that art, that uh, genre, to mm -hmm. try to dabble in it however much oneself. And I'm very intrigued both by the, the fact that you, you brought that up. I was wondering whether you actually write any science fiction, uh, given your, your interests. And uh, yeah. if so, I wanted to make sure you, you draw it to my attention if it's, a, if it's published anywhere. But you also mentioned needing to wait to a particular stage in one's academic uh, career. And so say a little bit more about that, if you don't mind. Well, I'm stage for me it's a matter of I have a very very heavy course load mm -hmm. on I feel like I'm probably far more pro prolific writing uh, than I need to be for my position um, but it's because I really enjoy writing quite frankly, mm -hmm. whether it's academic or creative um, I have always been a creative writer um, I don't have uh, any fiction published um, I have some poetry published but I'm not gonna tell you where I mean, it's pretty old um, <laughs> but uh, I have done the National Novel Writing Month the NaNoWriMo yeah in November. I've done that twice. So I have two of uh, mostly finished novels. I'm not saying they're good at all, um, but I have made that effort. Um, and I have a lot of other ideas. So probably what I need to do is crank up some short stories and try to get them published. There's a lot of places online for publishing these stories. Mm. Um, some of these sites I have found with just modern, you know, contemporary writers, new writers um, have been doing good uh, religion and science fiction short stories, some of which I've included in my classes. Um, and they're just kind of nobodies right now. They're not big names, but maybe they will be someday. Um, so I think there's a lot of good stuff going on up there and I would be really interested to participate in it. But it's just completely a matter of time and priority right now. Yeah, I keep, I keep coming across people who are academics, but who also dabble in writing fiction, in particular mm -hmm. science fiction, but also some historical fiction, other there's things. A lot of us, yeah. And I think sometimes we write things that are, you know, on the one hand are, you know, let's, how, how should I put this uh, delicately and knowing that I'm implicating <laughs> myself more than anyone else uh, describing things I write, uh, can be, you know, somewhat sort of philosophical and, you know, mm -hmm. are, you know uh, not always, but sometimes as academics, we, we like writing the kind of stuff that we most enjoy. Um, I wonder, you know, it, it seems as though those are not always the immediate hits, um, even for the people who eventually become big names, uh, some of those works, if, yeah, you also, as you dig into the, the opus of some particular author, you find out, oh, wow, they sent this to a lot of people before it ever got published. Mm -hmm. I wonder whether, you know, in addition to improving the networking among academics working on sci-fi, we also need to create some kind of outlet, maybe an online um, journal or just a, a short story repository for academics who write and who, yeah, partly because when you write an academic book or article, the process is so different. We sometimes just struggle to navigate, right. you know, I have to get an agent, I have to do what, you know, it's, but also, you know, it, it, there, might be, there might be some usefulness to, to providing a venue for some of these things. I, th I wonder how many academics would say, this is what I've been looking for. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be great um, to organize 
some kind of a forum for sharing short stories or fiction works with academics. Um, one, op one way we could do this is uh, NaNoWriMo, actually, their big month is November, but their secondary month is April, they usually call Camp NaNo, and they encourage people to write. If they want to go for the 50,000 more novel, that's great, but they encourage people to write shorter stuff if they want. Um, and you can make, uh, they call them cabins, it's like a camp, but you make like basically groups and you, uh, it's like a message board and you track each other's progress and you share, you know, you're struggling with something and share ideas and brainstorm together. It's some kind of like, you know, kind of community, I think, of academic, people who are full-time academics and want to be novelists, you know, I think there's totally, uh, would be a great space for it. Um, I think there's definitely a need for it. Well, I, I see we've been talking for uh, about half an hour, and I, I know you have uh, work to get back to students to get back to all these kinds of things. Uh, mm -hmm. But what a, uh, thank you for this, and I'm looking forward to ongoing conversations about a number of these things. And, Pleasure, absolutely. Uh, yeah, eventually reading, yeah, maybe not the poetry that you're keeping a secret, but <laughs> some of the science fiction that you are going to write, um, and maybe even talking about ways that we could bring academics together to you know, put together volumes that explore interesting topics in ways that you know, help students, help the general public think about some of the things that we think are important as academic fans of science fiction and as well as people who study science fiction. Absolutely, count me in for that. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And let me uh, give one last shout out to uh, your book, which is now out on personhood in science fiction. Uh, it, is, it is absolutely a great, introduction to this, but it really digs into details and contributes to a deeper understanding of this field, even if you're already familiar with it in, uh, in some way through other things that you've read on the subject. And so uh, highly recommend it. Academic books are expensive. So get your, tell your local library to get it if, um, it's, uh, if it's not possible for you to get your own copy and then borrow it from there and recommend it to your friends. But if you enjoy science fiction that explores deep philosophical and religious topics, this is, this is a book that you're definitely going to want to read. So, Julie, thank you for writing this book. Thank you for uh, being a guest on the Religion Prof podcast thank today. for having me. And to everyone who's been listening, I hope you've enjoyed listening to our conversation. Thank you so much, and bye for now. <laughs>